When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Footballistic, the Arsenal is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Welcome to Footballistically Arsenal, the Arsenal podcast. I am Boyd Hilton and my sidekick, Psychic Josh, is to my right. I am good to be here as always, Boyd. Looking resplendent. Raymond of Red Action fame is across the table from me. Welcome, Hello. Raymond. Hello, Boyd. Thank you for having who me. Who arranged some very pleasant pre-match uh, things. Can't beat a bit of red and white before a big game. Bit so um, Giant flag action. Yeah, lots of lots of hands involved, so thanks to everybody who uh, contributed to that. So... Uh, Normally on the big home games, I don't go quite as well on the pitch, but you know, it yeah. all went well on Saturday. It's very good. It's very good. And we are joined by the great Amy Lawrence, journalist, writer, and producer of the best film ever made. Eighty nine, <laughs> the best introduction I will ever get in my yeah. life. Eighty nine, out now on DVD, Blu-ray, and digital download. Um, of course, the story of Arsenal's triumphant um, win at Anfield in nineteen eighty nine. We will talk about that obviously later. Before we get onto any of this, the glory of Saturday. Let's remind you that Footballistically Arsenal is backed for the season by Labrooks. Sign up and deposit up to £50 and Labrooks will put the same amount into your account, giving us up to £50 worth of free bets. You can get this offer by following the link at bet.arsenalpodcast.net. Anyway, more importantly, we'll get on to the greatest film ever made, 89, later, Amy. Um, but we should talk about the greatest day of football of, for many months, I feel. Um, our triumph against Tottenham. You were there, obviously. I was. Covering it for The Guardian and as a human being Arsenal fan. Um, how did you, I mean, you know, it, for me, it was one of the most pleasurable defeats of Tottenham and performances I've seen, I mean, for years in a way. I felt it was so good. But am I am I getting carried away, or did you, what, did you, what was your feeling? Gosh, um, I suppose how many years are we going back? But I, I think what I suppose made it feel 
particularly special. And let's face it, football and, and going to watch live sport is about how you feel. Otherwise, why would you bother? Yeah. Um, just, I, I was a bit perplexed by this kind of pre-match narrative that Tottenham were going to, you know, stroll down uh, Seven Sisters Road, <laughs> saunter into the Emirates and uh, just basically stand there and walk off with three points. I wasn't quite sure where this idea came from and it just seemed to gather so much traction during the week. And it's not as if Arsenal are relegation fodder and Tottenham are playing in the manner of Man City this season are sort of that mm. impressive. You know, the, even before the game, the gap was four points. And when you look at the history of, of Tottenham coming to Arsenal as a fixture, um, Raymond and I were just r- nostalgically reminiscing about the great <laughs> 1993 meeting um, when Paul Lederson and Mark Flats were starters ahead of the <laughs> FA Cup final uh, Paul Dickoff scored for us. I remember that. Wow, there you that go. A That's a good memory. Uh, I wouldn't have got that, that one is, in. Yeah. And and you know, since that day when Tottenham won in 1993 in an away fixture at Arsenal, they've won once. Now, so mm. where does this idea suddenly sprout and snowball that it was going to be easy? So I, I, I don't. I, I did feel that 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 set the tone, and quite what is said in dressing rooms these yeah. days. It, it's hard to tell, but you certainly get the feeling that there were probably some people in that dressing room that had a few serious words to G people up because that was an Arsenal that had that came out all right, the first 10, 15 minutes a little bit nervy, but once they'd settled into their stride, they were absolutely super determined. Yeah. And there was an enthusiasm and a sort of relish for this fixture and for proving a point that I think was evident in every player. And we hadn't, because that's the thing, we hadn't seen that level of super determination, had we, for a while, Raymond? I mean, I, as far know. as I was concerned, it's the best performance since the cup final, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Um, I think when the expectations were a little bit lower, and obviously everyone's slagging off the team, and there's certain players that really the fans get on the back of, but you could really see there was, like Amy says, that determination and that real organisation and being good off the ball and just that extra effort and a lot of t- a lot of the time football fans aren't that complicated when you really see that extra effort and you really see that yeah. the, the team really want this I think the crowd was on their side as well uh, and that could have gone either way you know an early goal for, for Spurs it could have really uh, been a bad day but after the first couple of minutes I was pretty confident that we were we were going to have a good day and, and on and on as the first half went it got better and better because my heart leapt yeah when when the team was announced part because I do think that front three, I mean, I have been going on for weeks about how, you know, he has to pick that front three. And I thought dropping Lacazette against City, I know, we, you know, we may well have lost anyway, but at least I think we would have been much more equally on an equal par with them to some extent. We could have tried, you know, with our three best players, attacking players playing. And for me not to pick him against City Liverpool was a disastrous decision. So I, my, I immediately, the fact that he did pick them, against Spurs I thought wow thank God and, and the fact we had Mustafi back so we had kind of central defenders in central defending positions and everyone seemed to be in the right position our best team in the right positions and I thought oh okay I, we stand a good chance and I thought we'd probably get a draw but it was that level that I think that I, I, my theory is that him picking those best players kind of galvanises them as well and I feel like players like Ozil particularly in Sanchez get, perhaps get pissed off when he doesn't when he does strange things like not pick like a Zach. You, well, for the first time in a, in a while, you think about the years under Arsene Wenger, 
I can't remember a time where we had such an obvious starting eleven where there was that little debate about who should be starting in every right. position. And yet he so Lacazette, well, it's just a couple of away games against well, top six. He's tried something different and seemingly yeah. it hasn't worked with our return of no points at other trips to Man City and Liverpool. But I, I agree with Amy. There was this, you know, narrative that, you know, Tottenham have now got, you know, this the best ever team they've they've had during probably the last twenty years, which is arguably true. Alan Alga sat with us, didn't he, two weeks ago and said Arsenal were the biggest price they've ever been for a home league fixture against Tottenham. It's against not like Alan Tottenham. to find a negative though, is it? He found a negative, but he found you know, a, a truthful stat. So those that wanted to back Arsenal were getting the best ever price they, they could have done in Premier League history. Well, he um, predicted that we win, didn't he, I think? He, he did. Sure. Yeah. I, think he, I think he was just about right, fair. he did. Yeah. And yet, you know, now we're walking in and, and we were doing everything that people have criticised us for not doing in terms of the harassing. And, and in some mm. ways... I sort of worry that when we've had some of our defeats, people have gone too far in the negatives. There was a bit of a worry. Like Phil Neville was like eulogising about us on the BBC about you know what what this meant and the best. I was sort of worried we're going a bit far the other way because much as we did the pressing, I thought brilliantly, we didn't have loads of brilliant chances to sort of score four or five until Tottenham really went for it and Sanchez mm. went through a couple of times at the end. You know, it didn't feel like we'd you know. It had been the sort of greatest performance under, you know, Wenger anywhere near those levels. It was very good, but I was sort of thinking, actually, people are getting a bit carried away. <laughs> yeah, but I think, but I, 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 but I do think that everyone seemed to be on it from the start. And so even though Spurs, even when Spurs had their kind of a couple of fluid attacks, particularly in the first maybe 10 15 minutes, the defence seemed very staunch and they were blocking things. And they, and they they're just generally the whole, but my, I guess what all the pundits said from Phil Neville, Gary Neville, everyone, um, I think particularly saw, um, who was it, Rio Ferdinand. They were expressing their deep frustration that this happens mm. once in a blue moon. And why can't we do that every week? That old chestnut. And it's, which is kind of fair, isn't it? If they can pull that out of the hat against Tottenham and look so commanding, why can't we do it every week? That is, is that a fair indictment? It is, but it's trying to find a bit of a cloud on a, on a weekend of silver lining. So I prefer to focus <laughs> on that. And then it is one of those, yes, we've beat Spurs, but then somebody's, there's always someone going, yeah, but why can't we do that every week? So it just kind yeah. of take the shine off you. I totally get that. I totally get that. Again, we should ignore about that. Yeah. Fans of other en- clubs. Enjoy a good weekend. You know, why not get a bit carried away? I think we've had some yeah. really crap results this season and in previous seasons. And we've taken a couple of beatings from Spurs, not necessarily at home, but. They've been tough to beat, even when we've been at home, and just just enjoy it for sure. If you can't enjoy a two 0 home win against Spurs, then you're probably not really an Arsenal fan. But it, what that was not a negative. What it did underline for me is the, the importance of like the, there was a there was beginning to be a head of steam from certain fans and certain kind of Arsenal bloggers and tweeters saying is maybe we should just think about dropping Ozil and Sanchez, for example, saying you know why should they try their best because we know they're going to be leaving soon. And this surely this performance put the nail in that coffin, didn't it, of that theory? Because you've got to carry on playing. When they can rouse themselves and play that well, you've got to carry on, haven't you, with them? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that Arsene Wenger just gives that idea completely sh- short shrift. The, yeah. the problem was, I think that the if you're using this as a sort of barometer or benchmark for what Arsenal should be aspiring to do, probably the last game that had a bit of that was the Chelsea away game, yeah. and that was without Ozil. Mm. So I think that that high, whole concept came about because there was like this slightly different way of playing in a yeah. tough away game at a ground where you don't normally do very well with players who more noticeably put in that physical effort. But what was interesting to me that about the way that, that Arsenal played in this match is the three those three forward players really, really pushed up. Yeah. They didn't give any any of the Tottenham players at the back an outlet. They seemed yeah. to kind of close down all the angles where they're used to playing the ball out from the back. They didn't... 
that that wasn't open to them. And Tottenham looked a little bit bewildered and that that was unexpected. And it probably was unexpected because it's not usually what Arsenal do. And for some reason that, you know, we all like to overanalyse the tactical side of things sometimes too much. And, you know, most people would have said Pochettino was the tactical genius of the moment and Wenger's passed it. But if you're analysing the strategies of the day, there's no question which manager kind of made the right call. And by pushing them up in an unusual fashion, Mm. it really changed the whole dynamic of the team. And And we kind of bypassed midfield as well, didn't we? Yeah, well, which has probably been the problem area for Arsenal in a while. And most of the really bad performances come when opposition get hold of that midfield and dominate and and completely obliterate it. And then that puts so much pressure on both the defenders and the attackers who were starved of service. So somehow Arsenal managed to make sure that wasn't an issue in this match, which I thought was really clever was clever, and interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where you think, okay, so take that in. And so if we're going to use this as a benchmark, it's all about the mentality with yeah. this team. And we all know that on a day when Absolutely, they want yeah. to know, they're capable yeah. against almost yeah. anyone. And it's somehow managing to go into those, particularly those away games up north where I think everybody's seen think it a few too many times. Actually, let's let's see them believe in themselves in, and be as motivated as they were in that match. That's going to be If they can show that in a big away game up north, then I think it's really going to be interesting. We'll, we'll talk more about this uh, match after this little break. <laughs> Footballistically, Arsenal is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. And back from the break. You were going to say, Raymond, about... I was going to say that I thought we were really good off the ball on Saturday. Yeah. So if you look at all the previous analysis and all the those famous big away games where we, we, we always end up getting beaten, there's always a huge amount of criticism about how lackadaisical we are off the ball and closing down space and all that. And I thought it was the total opposite on Saturday and the front three were a big part of that. And I thought definitely the, the strongest lineup on paper and good to see those front three starting at home and yeah. none of this Lacazette on the bench bollocks oh, that we've had for previous yeah. uh, previous big away games. I just, I just don't understand that at all. No. And, and, well, go on. No, I was going to just wonder if you were going to, you know, Amy touched upon there, the tactical, you know, battle that was won by the managers on Saturday because you have probably sat here and argued against Wenger being capable of, of leading that kind of tactical change and Pure, being past yeah. it. Purely because I think what we've seen from the last couple of years has indicated that very strongly. And, you know, for me, I get, you know, I take Ray's point, absolutely, that we shouldn't, we don't want to have dark clouds in this in this hugely enjoyable time. But, however, however, it's frustrating for, to me, and I think a lot of Arsenal fans, that this is such a rare occurrence. And why has it taken so long to reach this? You know, like for me, it's like, yeah, you, you, these are clearly our best players. And off, so often he hasn't picked them. For, for, you know, and at the start of the season he was just picking weird, bizarre, you know, players out of position. The whole Chamberlain thing was just insane. But at the beginning, and you all might... of that is not—I've not invented that. That happened, and this—we've arrived at this point where he picks the best team that everyone agrees, and he's not trying to be tricky and kind of outguess people. And I just feel it's like it's just basic, isn't it? You put your best players in the right position, and we play really well, and he. You know, came up with a great tactically brilliant. Yeah, do you, do you think he's going to play that same team at Burnley? Acid you know, question. I mean, again, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if he didn't. And as everyone said, boring. I know, I know, we want to ignore these people, but Ferdinand, Rio Ferdinand, literally said on BT Sport, "Where they're going to lose to Burnley? They'll definitely lose to Burnley." And I couldn't go, "You twat!" for saying that. I kind of thought, well, maybe right. You know, excruciating. But I wouldn't be surprised. I, I don't want to be horrible about Giroud, but for example, when I saw Giroud was injured, wasn't he for that? And I yeah. thought. 
that's kind of good because I think it means he has to play, you know, Lacazette, and he has to not bring on Giroud as an annoying sub and put Lacazette out yeah. wide. And you that hasn't been the time where Lacazette's been fit for a home game and not started. Has I it? don't know. What I'm saying is, is that even the temptation to fiddle with right. that. Whereas if Giroud's now back and fit, I bet he's tempted. It's just that, it's that preemptive like substitution yeah. that he always right. seems to have exactly. when you see Lacazette at starting at centre forward. You see Giroud on the bench, and then yeah. you see seventy minutes, seventy-five minutes come round, and you th- yeah. and you see that the substitution ball's going up, and you just know what's going to happen. And it was actually the same on Saturday with Lacazette going off, obviously, yeah. even though Giroud wasn't available. I thought that was one of the most brilliant bits about Saturday. That if you had a stranger who'd never been to a football match before and they were sat at that game, try to explain to them why the home team who are winning against their great enemies boos their substitution yes. and cheers the Tottenham substitution. Absolutely. It was it's completely, you know, yeah. if you have no classic, context it? or nuance, yeah. it's yeah. completely bonkers. Yeah. But I said to the, the chap, who, uh, Chris, who sits in front of me, I said to him, if it's number nine going up, there will be boos. Mm. Because yeah. I think we've seen it so often yeah. in the past four or five years. And so yeah. we know that we're always skirting on that edge of, there's always that anti-Venga kind of yeah. um, things just be- just below the surface, no matter how the team are doing. And it can come, can come out in... in uh, situations like that but I thought that the game did really change when Lacazette went off because there wasn't that yeah. um, that that centre point I thought personally should have taken Xhaka off with, with him being well, on okay, the card yeah. and yeah. everyone is going to go and it changed but we had we still had plenty of chances after that it didn't affect the result no. that was, that was no. the main thing I did feel weirdly, as you, I think you said, wasn't it? After after like 10, 15 minutes, and certainly after we scored two goals, I didn't. Feel, I usually feel oh, this is going to go horribly wrong. Still, yeah. I kind of didn't have that deep down. I felt quite comfortable, and that was a brilliant feeling to have. Just there was something commanding about. I think, and they were, you know, as you said, they they kind of couldn't seem very confused and bewildered generally um, about the whole thing. The refereeing decisions. Do we, I guess we should touch on them, but I, get, I can't. Again, I kind of thought. Wenger was right in pointing out that we've had very similar decisions against us recently, but offsides and, you know, fouls that weren't fouls, even just free kicks against us. I kind of thought, fair enough, really. And, we, and in the end, we just were so much better than them that those, for me, didn't weren't deccisive. Am I, am I being unduly biased? This know. is an Arsenal podcast. You're yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I feel, you know, but, but people, I remember as soon as I was on the bus on the way home, they played, um, I think it was, who did the interview of Match of the Day? Um, and whoever it was, the first question to Eric Dyer was, well, that referee decision, decision was terrible, wasn't it? Like, and then that set him off on a whole. And I thought, well, your first question could be, you were nowhere near as good as Arsenal, were you? you know? Yeah, but that's that. I, I've never been in a press conference, I don't think ever, where when there's any kind of refereeing decision that's up for question, that's not the first question. Really, I mean, yeah. I must admit, I find it pretty tiresome. <laughs> it is, isn't it? And yeah. sometimes you just spend ages talking about whether it was a red card or whether it was this or that. And actually, there's been something really significant about the game and it just doesn't yeah. seem to penetrate. But that's football media for you. Do you think we are capable? Do you think we're ca- <laughs> Do you think we are capable? We've got an interesting question about football media coming up about the whole yeah, tea gate. I bet you are. <laughs> um, the, do you think we're capable? Do you think the manager and the team are capable of keeping this up? <laughs> Well, define keeping this up. I mean, if you're thinking about actually somehow getting back into the title race, and I would say no. If you think about winning four of the next six league games and, and doing pretty good and maybe avoiding defeat in the other two, then yeah, I think we probably can. The damage is done from the season as a whole, I think, already. But if they can find some form, the problem is is that the negativity is still just bubbling below the surface. And as mentioned earlier, has the Sanchez and Ozil thing being dropped, been put to bed? But then two bad away games in a row... 
January transfer windows coming up and those those rumours will start again yeah. and, and the negativity will come out yeah. saying we should sell them and all this kind of I was going to ask you about that, Amy, because I, he, he was asked about that, wasn't he, whether the, the, after that game so, <laughs> Ozan Sajjus might suddenly be inspired to stay. And he gave a slightly confusing answer, I thought. Do we, did, you, did you see that answer? It was yeah. kind of about... No, he said, kind of said, no, they won't. And then he kind of said that they might stay. And I was thought it was very kind of, I didn't really get what he was saying about that. I mean, uh, unless he knows something we don't yeah. about what may or may not happen in January, which is plausible. But I mean, I still find it quite difficult to imagine that Arsenal are going to take no money for players yeah. who are going to going to go for nothing, big players a few months down the line. I don't. I I feel like there's a there's a middle ground probably here where if they if they keep both and they both go in the summer for free, that's pretty brave of Arsenal. Yeah. If they sell both and cash in now, that's pretty mental. So probably you know, quite logically, the truth might be somewhere in the middle. I wouldn't be gobsmacked if if one goes and one stays in mm. January. I've not, I'm basing this on absolutely no mm. evidence at all. Um, I still also haven't had an answer to the obvious point, which is, um, and I was on a, another podcast with Graham Balligan. He was very firm on this. He was talking about Man City cannot fit Alexis into their current team, and he would spend a lot of time on the bench. He was very firm about it, and you know he's, he's friends with Pep Guardiola, seemingly. I, if they'd have bought him, even you know, I don't see how it would have. How how would he fit it in? How is it, would he fit him if he moved in January? I think that's a big... And there doesn't seem to be any other big team linked with him. It seems to be always City linked mm. with him. So I don't know why... It's just whether or not they change their mind because they did want him. Yeah. You know, do they suddenly not want him? I, I don't know. I, yeah. I sometimes think when you're in that position of strength, you can't have enough good players. Maybe. And it's that preempting yeah. of people getting injured or... Yeah, maybe. I think it would be a bit like uh, the Ox at Liverpool. I think if Sanchez went there and then ended up on the bench, I think Arsenal fans would take quite a bit of pleasure in that. Yeah, well, of course, I'm sure. Yeah, I think I, I was. I, I nearly. Think, uh, go I on. think he's too. I don't think he. I mean, Man City are fantastic at the moment, but I fail to see that he would go up there and not be playing a lot. I guess he would play quite a lot. Yeah, I, I, I think it's possible they might both stay. I still have this kind of. Do you remember there was a you mean stay ago? and sign new contracts? Or do you mean stay until the end of the season? Definitely stay until the end of the season. I'll be. I think. I mean. I definitely. I think they'll. I've got a feeling that both people will be there at the end of the season. I just think. I don't know. I just feel if we go on a big run, you know, I also think it depends. It depends what kind of money actually yeah. comes in in January. Yeah. I mean, obviously they have the chance of signing some sort of Bosman pre-agreement with anybody. Yeah. Um, but if there is money to be made, what's the going rate for a player like that with you know four or five months football to go? I, I don't know. If someone yeah, comes weird, in and says yeah. here's five or ten million, we'll mm. probably Arsenal turn around and say no, nah, let's not bother. Yeah. But if it's silly money, then maybe your arm gets twisted. Yeah. It seems to go against the business model, to, as Amy implied, of, of everything we've seen under you know the last twenty years, to allow a player to sort of go run down to have two your two big ones do it. I don't know. You'd almost like to sort of a bit of affinity in January, but I'm not sure we'll get it. Sort of feels if one left and one signed a new contract, that would be pure sort of straight down the middle. Yeah. Of like you could do the I I could work with the communications team on the PR on that side to like sell that as not a terrible result that we've got some money someone staying I don't know I think particularly feel this is I have no evidence of this whatsoever apart from my own my own theories about I think Sanchez in particular such a kind of emotionally you know I think he seems to respond to things so short term you know that he could just think oh actually I might just sign again for them if you know particularly if the city thing doesn't happen and, and I don't see what other big club is going to go for him. I think he's more likely to go than Ozil. Oh, okay. 
the Ozil's again, what, I'm basing, theme seems what, to be I'm, such a... what I'm basing that on, I don't know, yeah, but yeah. I think he's just a bit more of a buyable commodity than than some of the maybe the frustrations and stuff that Ozil brings. Uh, that I think everybody's Ozil's price know, probably went up a lot. After you know, his bef- his performances have been you know yeah. dissected for the past yes. over many months. Months yes. Sanchez normally gets away with it because he he pops up with important goals, even yeah. even if his performances haven't been quite at the level that we've sure. expected. Before we get on to the joy of 89 the film and your involvement in all of that and the story of it, we have a couple of, and then you, you alluded to the annoying story of um, Arsenal Twitter T. Erzilgate, um, which this journalist, this Daily Mail journalist, Adam Croft, and so everyone knows, but I, I do think the specifics are interesting. I don't it's, think everyone will know. Okay, I think, so gonna, I think uh, some okay. people have missed this. My sure. friends who are like not in sports, you know, I yeah. raised it with that, no idea. But then yeah. I, I spoke to it's one of my s- friends yeah. who's a journalist, they're really aware and we had a very strong opinion on it. Yeah, so okay, so my understanding of the story is that this daily mail, this male journalist, all male journalists were asked, weren't they? Kind of in the middle of last daily week. Daily mail, every, not male journalists. Daily mail. Daily mail. Confused people. As a f- female, yeah, sorry. yeah. Daily mail journalists. All every journalist under the sun. I hope you. I hope you resisted. But I wasn't asked. Which okay. was a stunning pleasure. That is a very great pleasure. But every, pretty much every journalist under the sun was asked to do their combined Spurs last Which, by the way contributed to your, at the point you made about, suddenly everyone seemed to think that Spurs were 10 times better than we were, even though a couple of years ago, not so long ago, everyone was saying it's the strongest squad for years. Anyway, so everyone was picking that. And it, the Mail had all of their journalists picked them. He picked all Spurs players. And he tweeted about it. And this is, I think this is important to mention because the specifics. And I saw this tweet and I, because I follow every football journalist he tweeted I've been asked to pick my joint 11 so I've picked the whole Spurs team and I thought oh you know slightly provocative you know and sure enough loads of people were slagging off and retweeting it then Arsenal tweeted him but they didn't as very very importantly they didn't do a public tweet kind of you know retweeting him and then making the point they just tweeted to him specifically with uh, the gif of Ozil sipping tea and uh, what did they say? Did they? Well, it was just a wink and a, just and a, a red and a, circle. Yeah, no yeah. text or anything. No so text. Just the gift. Pretty much the most harmless way of dealing, of kind of going, getting back at him. He then did complain and said that there was a massive pile on, and, and Arsenal fans, Twitter, Twitter, Arsenal fans on Twitter were sending him homophobic and anti-Semitic comments, which was obviously terrible, absolutely terrible. Then Neil Custis said it was awful, and I'm you know, paraphrasing. A lot of journalists seemed most a lot of journalists seemed to say it was bad that Arsenal's official Twitter account did this. Some like John Cross said it was fine; he didn't have a problem with it. Gary Neville thought it was good. <laughs> now, in the midst of all this, how does a football journalist like you feel about the whole thing? Um, really complicated Ooh. is probably my honest answer because I've thought about it quite a lot, and I actually sympathise with a whole bunch of points of view which is probably not what <laughs> makes good a podcast no no but um we like subtlety and nuance <laughs> i can see from adam's point of view yeah. that have it you know w- when you do something like that um if you get if you get a sudden barrage of really horrible stuff and i've only had it once and that was by accident i, I it was the um fa cup semi-final against man city last year yeah. and I, well, I was there quite early because I was working and I went out and there was a big banner over the Man City end and I took a picture of it. I can't remember why. I thought it was quite sort of... It was about them being the best team ever in the world, which is part of one of their songs that they've sung for years and a lot of the time they sung that in a self-deprecating way. But um, I, And I tweeted it and it got picked up by someone who has a lot 
more followers than I have. And all of a sudden, I, I've i never been subjected oh, really? on Twitter ever to the kind of stuff that I got that day. And I was really shocked. Yeah. I'll be honest, I, yeah. I, it it really spoiled my day. Right. And that was quite... It's like misogynistic and... All sorts of stuff, yeah. 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 Uh, uh, and it, it, when, it, it, you know, you have your kind of normal flow mm. if you like of stuff that you you see or you're used to your normal flow on twitter yeah. and it's like during the day there's a few bits here and there or whatever it might be and then every now and again you put something that's a bit more popular and you get a bit more response or some days are really quiet and if you get a sudden like literally avalanche it's actually a little bit scary yeah. and yeah. um i i was i thought i'm i'm, I'm off twitter yeah, bollocks yeah. to this yeah. i just i don't know don't need it and mm. and i i really like i i was very reluctant to join twitter in the first place and for from work they kind of bugged me about it for a couple of years come on we've all got to be doing this and i thought no what do i want to be talking to like anybody for yeah. like it's all I, I wasn't sure. sure and once i did it i thought this is brilliant yeah and actually i really really like the fact that you could have um a conversation with anybody yeah and that you would find out all sorts of things you didn't know about and be inspired in different ways and lots of people i found were really really nice and had really interesting things to say and i loved it mm. and then after this day i thought nah don't mm. want to and anyway I, after a little gap i went back in and um but it did t- sort of teach me a bit of a lesson and i really do often think twice i think of something i'm going to say and if i think if it's a bit of nuanced uh, and anyway, this man sitting obviously got totally misunderstood. I didn't really realise it was offensive, obviously. Yeah. Um, but there you go. And uh, yeah, I, I, I try to be a bit more. Yeah. I don't know. Careful. careful. Non-provocative. Yeah. That's probably the <laughs> yeah. word. Just because it's not yeah, nice. Sure. So I have, you know, I have some sympathy. Mm. Although I, I'm, I don't know whether, you know, and obviously I don't know the kind of stuff that he got because um, I didn't see it. Mm. I did see, though, some somebody had retweeted some stuff saying uh, the, the, the kind of homophobic and anti-Semitic and horrible abuse mm. seemed to be dated previous to the Arsenal yeah. tweet. Yeah. So that was a bit... I was slightly... Yeah, you got quite some work of that out initially. The time yeah, yeah. Of whether yeah. that was anyway or whether that yeah. had come... Yeah. But, you know, Twitter does bring out the very, very worst Absolutely. in people. And, <laughs> it, it, and, and when people turn around and say, well, you've just got to have a thick skin... That's not really no, a correct no. argument. However, other side of all that is I don't really think Arsenal did no. something terrible. Um, and I think to blame Arsenal for individual idiots who happen to you know follow yeah. Arsenal is slightly dubious territory as well. Yeah. So, I, I, as I said, I'm, I'm not really sure what the answer is, but I just I just found the whole thing a little bit of a, of a pity, really. It did, did seem to have some sort of galvanising effect that it was about the one thing that's happened lately that's unified Arsenal supporters, which was <laughs> yeah. quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, a little, Against the media, was it, I think it was all Sunday morning and everyone was still, still on a high, obviously, from the result and uh, it kind of kept things going for another 24 hours and it was all, it was all very, very pro-Arsenal and very positive, which... You know, from mm. everyone here who is on Twitter from an Arsenal point of view, um, is very rare these days. So it was good to kind of double up on the uh, the great result. And yeah, Daily Mail journalist obviously got a load of abuse, which is not acceptable in any situation. But uh, the pro Arsenal side of things, and you know, the reminding him of who the top dogs in London are and all that, I thought was uh, 
it was totally yeah. harmless, really. The club, the spokesman at the club's official statement, I think, which is perfectly good, was no offence was intended and we are disappointed that the journalist has been subject to abuse, which we would condemn in the strongest terms. It, and it did, for me, I, I, I totally agree with you. I, think the, I don't think the club did anything particularly wrong. And, I, you know, I know a lot of football journalists think they knew there was going to be a pile-on, but... But he chose to highlight it, which then yeah. it, 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 it then grew kind of out of all yeah. perform, proportion because of the way, yeah. like you said, the way that it was sent out, it was replied to. So unless you follow both of them, you're specifically looking for tweets, you wouldn't have seen it. And it probably would have, um, you know, just uh, disappeared after a couple of hours and nobody would have cared. But he chose to highlight it. And then a lot of other journalists, some were supporting and some were giving the other side of the argument. Yeah. And, and it really got bigger You know and what bigger. annoyed me as well is that, because I, I thought it underlined that there was still a lot of um, anti-Semitic, moronic mm. Arsenal fans out there who will refer to Spurs in that way. And I thought that was a real show because I thought I was going to say at the match, I didn't notice any of that at all for the first time in recent years. I don't know if that was just me or whether you heard, did hear, but I didn't even, there were lots of anti-Spurs that were stand up if you hate Tottenham. I didn't hear one Yiddo as the yeah. chant at all in yeah. the whole game, which I thought was really. I would a, a say good. that I've I've not heard um, any of those chants at the the home derby match now for a good four or five years. Oh, I would okay. say, and I see it North Bank uh, um, Block Six. So you know, a lot of the kind of that demographic who are singing and, and getting involved in the atmosphere are there, and I don't hear that. I think the away game is is is, is different. Um, I would certainly hear it there. Uh, it's it's a different demographic yeah. following Arsenal yeah. away and stuff like that, and it's a, a bit more of an intense atmosphere. Not that it excuses it, but certainly from the home games, okay. I haven't heard those those chants for a good few years. Yeah, I'd agree with that totally. It's uh, I think we've even been together on occasion, like away uh, games. It does yeah, feel yeah. like it's sometimes with the away fans, it's more of an issue. And maybe that's in line with people being away and they've had more to drink on away days, and, and therefore mm. lose a, a bit of awareness about what. <laughs> where they should be uh, on the levels of what they're saying. But, I mean, I, I was messaging with one of my friends who was a football journalist at one of the Nationals, and he was heavily on the side that it wasn't, it wasn't OK. He said that Arsenal should be aware of what their online sort of fans can be like. You know, it, it's a bit of a joke that Arsenal fans are so well-known for being, like, always winning Twitter polls, and they got going such volume together. That he was like, the media team, and I'm reading this now, he goes, the media team is fully aware of what your online fans are like. They're so aggressive. And the Arsenal fans do have an underrated issue with anti-Semitism, and you know that the media team should have taken more responsibility than knowing what would what might happen just by doing that. Like, what's the benefit? And maybe the proof will be in the pudding. Is are they going to do it again? I'm pretty sure they won't. I'm pretty sure they'll look at it now and go, do you know what? We don't need to get involved in that. What's the best that can happen? Yeah, it's so probably in, in hindsight, and of hindsight's a beautiful thing. Perhaps Arsenal could have done it differently, and it hadn't been actually. Di- re- directed towards the specific journalist, but been to all those people picking an all Tottenham yeah. combined, yeah. you know, 11. Yeah. And that's all it needed to be. And then it wasn't actually specifically directed towards an individual. So they could have still made the point with a bit of humour, yeah. which I yeah. think was yeah. the idea. Well, Ozil, um, Ozil himself did it after the cup final. I don't know if you remember did, that. Yeah. It was, yeah. a, it was a, a shot of a newspaper with all the predictions and the score predictions and yeah. they were all Chelsea to win the cup, six, six or eight of them. Yeah. yeah, but I guess it's a bit different when you're an individual and very obviously not even him, his management company or his agency taking a view as an individual. He's not representing the club. Maybe it's slightly different when it's a club that's supposed to sort of you know, take a bit more Pretty of a sure Ozil's got more Twitter followers than Arsenal has, though. Oh, really? Yeah, I think yeah, so. I bet. Yeah. I'm sure you're right, yeah. Um, we should quickly mention as well, Sven... Now, how am I going to pronounce this? Miss Lintat. Thank you. Our new head of recruitment. Now, some people... I know Le Grove tweeted today, didn't they? Some people seem to be assuming that 
he has been appointed above Arsene Wenger's head almost. And that, do you buy that? That, he's, that? that this is like a power grab and that they're trying to get ready for the future. But is that is that true? It seems to me perfectly logical that he would consent to this, to getting a really good uh, head of recruitment from uh, from a really good team. I think, again, the truth might be somewhere in the okay. middle. Um, I think there's probably... Yeah, I think Ivan Gazidis has been angling to make changes mm. in the structure behind the scenes for a while now. Actually making that happen has proved quite difficult. Uh, yeah. And Arsene Wenger hasn't been hugely uh, supportive of the idea of replacing members of staff that have been there for a very, very long time. Some of them, you know, maybe chimes a bit, with it, very comfortable in their positions, you know, not a lot changing, maybe getting a bit stale. Um, and I think that there has been this difficult friction between the sort of yeah. how much do we change and how do we do it? It's not a unified sure. um, body behind the scenes, I don't think, on, no. that, on that front. However... I think maybe Wenger is becoming a little bit less um, interested in that side. Perhaps there is this sense that, you know, it is coming towards the end and that it is time for some, you know, some people to change a little bit the way that the, that the club goes about its business. And recruitment has been one of the areas that, I mean, look, if you think back a few years ago, everybody was whinging about the medical side. Yeah. yeah. It was a massive problem. The medical team are rubbish. They keep getting diagnosis wrong. Why is Rosicki or DRB or this one out forever? Mm. And why does two weeks mean two years? And this kind of question was a a serious issue for, it felt like a very long time. How fit is everybody at the moment? Yeah, it's it's pretty not bad. Well, yeah. we played our definitely much better. Seasons, yeah. It yeah. is much improved. November now, was always the problem. Yeah. And yet yeah, here they, we are and we're okay. They have mm. brought in various individuals to do with conditioning and, yeah, and preparation and stuff in the last couple of years who I think quite, it doesn't happen overnight, but, and, you know, injuries will still happen, but it's definitely a much better place than it has been. So that's one area that needed addressing and they've yeah. just quietly been trying mm. to mm. get that one along. The other one was recruitment, where you can uh, look at the scouting uh, and the level of players that have been recommended. I'm sure everybody's got their own opinions. Um, uh, you know, some hits, some misses, uh, some average, which every team has. But, you know, you want to get more right yeah. than wrong, yeah. obviously. You, you, when, you're spending, when you've got to be careful with your money because you're not Man City or, or, or Paris Saint-Germain, you, you really need to try and get make sure that the, that the money is, is as well spent as can yeah, be. And absolutely. every hand has the caveat that you, every transfer is a gamble. Um, obviously, it's linked with the contracts, with the contracts that are running out. This whole kind of... The youth department is another thing. You know, we had Andres Jonker come in, then he went, then there wasn't anybody, and now we've got someone in temporary charge until Murtisacker has... It all looks a bit cockamamie, mm. let's be mm. honest. So, yeah. But you hope that eventually they're putting the building blocks in, in place for it to be better. So... Dick Law obviously was there for a long time doing the transfer negotiating and Steve Rowley was in charge of the scouting for a very long time and I think it has it's come to its natural end. Mm. Dick Law has gone, Steve Rowley has stood down and they've brought in, you know, these new people who I think they've spent a long time identifying and trying to get, which is... Um, uh, Hess Farmy, the contracts guy. I oh, probably yeah, yeah. said that wrong. Forgive yeah. me. From Team Sky and 
now Sven mm. from Borussia Dortmund. Now, just quickly, because I did actually um, speak to a pal of mine in Germany today to try and find out oh, a yeah. bit more about this yeah, guy. Yeah. And um, he apparently, it, you know, he thought long and hard about this move. It's not something where he's mm. just they've approached him and he said yes straight away. It's been quite a long battle to try mm. and get him. Um, and he, the way he operates... Uh, it's what what really chimed with me that I thought was fascinating is sounds very similar to in a way those very early Wenger years when the you know the kind of approach that he had to to talent spotting and what he's sort of specialises in almost where he's gained most of his reputation is in not finding someone that you've never ever heard of but finding someone who's you know people know about it's not a yeah. big secret that Lewandowski was scoring goals in Poland or that. Um, uh, Obama Young was doing quite well in, mm. in, in the French league, but not at a massive club. Uh, uh, and Dembele coming through, you know, he wasn't, nobody had ever heard of him and mm. he appeared from nowhere. But it, he's got a great gift, it seems, for almost projecting the one, you know, the good, the ones that are looking quite good, who's going who's to take that next step and really become a class player? as opposed to someone who's just... Right, yeah, that's interesting. And, and yeah. uh, you know, if you think back to those early Wenger days where, again, you know, signing Thierry Henry or Patrick Vieira, I mean, they were not no, players yeah. that nobody had ever heard of. Yeah. Um, but he, it was almost that sixth sense for the mm. ones, you know, or, or whether it was Freddie Jungberg or Gilberto or Lauren or something that were, gonna, that were really going to click and really going to mm. develop. Mm. And I think people maybe argue that players haven't developed so much at Arsenal in the, the last few years that have come in. And maybe this guy can help with that in, in, in the kind of oh, player that, that, that is being yeah. identified. That's good. That's good if that's true, yeah. Um, now then, we've got to talk about 89. Sadly, not as much. I could have talked about 89. I can talk about it for the next for a few hours if you want to just <laughs> hang out. No um, problem. But, but you, must, you must have told this story a lot. But we need, how did you get involved is one of the first thing. Um, in this in this film, in telling the story of it, was it your idea to make a film of this of that story? Um, I'd love to say it was. It wasn't quite. <laughs> okay. uh, there was a pal of mine called Adam Velasco who um, I think bunked off school in '89 to go and see a ticket tout and walk across London with Mr. O Level or GCSE or whatever. Had took out all the money he had to buy a ticket and somehow made it up to Anfield, and so it's a special one for him and. I think a lot of us have stories that and you were there. chime with that. Yeah. My last day of school, I bunked off to go up there, etc. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, he sent me an email uh, about 18 months ago saying, oh, I'm watching I Believe in Miracles and Class and I too. You know, there's all these mm. football films and why has nobody done anything about 89 yet? And I almost didn't need to get to the end of the, the yeah. sentence and straight away you're going, my God, that's absolutely obvious. That's brilliant. So... Um, you know, we, we we chatted about how we might try and make something happen, and I I sort of thought, well, you know, I know a lot about '89, I know the guys, and but I don't really know how to make a film. So I called someone else who I knew from the same era, uh, Paul Albert, who did some uh, had some experience of production, and he then mentioned it to a mate of his, who's Davies Stewart, who's the director. So all these conversations happened without anybody else talking right. to each other. It was like yeah. a domino effect. And everybody was going, yeah, this is brilliant. And in a, in a matter of weeks, we had Universal, who knew Davey, saying, yeah, we'd like you to make this film. Great. <laughs> so, I mean, especially for someone like me, and then I have to mention Lee Dixon, who yeah. we brought on really quickly as an exec producer. Um, 
it was an incredible thing to not only be able to just dive back in time and pretend we lived in 1989 for the last year and a half, which has been great because I much prefer it to <laughs> yes. current current era. Um, but just even having the experience of learning how to make a film was yeah, that, really, yeah. what was really the, fantastic. What was, the, what was the hardest thing about making it? The hardest thing was how to deal with the two most difficult subjects, which were Hillsborough and David Rowcastle. Yeah. Uh, I think trying our darndest to get that right you know, being able to get in and out of those two quite sensitive and emotional issues as best we could, I think, was probably what gave what what what, what was yeah. it gave us the most thought. Yeah. I did cry during both of those bits. Yeah, they are as, pretty emotional. I see repeatedly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that was the first thing I said to you. Important. I remember as I came out, I just said, "Yes, we always just watched the film." But I thought I just, like, Hillsborough was dealt with beautifully. Yeah. It was like yeah. the first thing that actually struck me. Definitely, yeah. Have you had a chance to see it, Raymond? Not yet. Yeah. had the pleasure. I've heard the ending is good, though. So <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to it. I mean, I was a bit, little bit before my time as far as uh, going to matches. I remember watching it at home um, on, a, on that Friday night on the sofa. I was 13 at the time. And what I think still annoys me to this day is that, obviously, back at my school, everybody would be a Liverpool fan. Not only was it Friday night, following after that was half term. So yeah. it was nearly 10, 11 days until I went back to school to give it to all the Liverpool fans. And they were just like, oh, we don't care now. It's like nearly two weeks ago. <laughs> so I kind of lost my moment in the sun because of that. Uh, well, it's out on DVD, isn't it, now? So you can, you can get it. Right? DVD, Blu-ray and digital downloads. Um, I had a question, actually, Amy. Was there anyone you wanted to be in it that, that wasn't? Was there anyone you yes, tried Yes, Kevin Richardson. Just couldn't we couldn't track him down. I mean, tried, had got a couple of numbers, sent messages, and never heard anything. So yeah, because you pretty much got every single. And the only other person team. I really, really wanted was the linesman. Uh, we did get the referee, the referee, which the referee was was great. who was Fantastic. in the premiere. Yeah, Indeed. he was. He's really he's, interesting. He's, he's a, really interesting. He's a yeah. super, super. I was going to ask about Mickey mm. Thomas because mm. my I went. I had the one of greatest nights of my life going to the premiere. But the one person I really wanted to meet and get a picture with was Mickey Thomas. Um, well, he, he's known. I was going to say he's known well, for basically yeah. doing nothing. Yeah, like even through Play with Urgent, we've offered him a couple right. of things, and if, you're lucky if you get a no thank you. But yeah. he's just he's just not interested. So, so when you asked me get... what was the hardest yeah. thing, and yeah. actually, you know, obviously the, <laughs> I had to do the answer, but but you know that that was he the was other hardest thing. Him. He was, you know, he's a he is a unique character, Michael Thomas. He yeah. is absolutely his own man, and he does things his own way. And you kind of think to yourself what's not to like, you yeah. know, come and have a chat, talk about, be part of this thing. And, um, you know, it's not going to change your life, but there's a bit of money in it for you as well. We're not asking anybody to do anything for nothing. Um, you know, and he was, he, he kept us on a string for wow. quite Which a while. Be quite tense because he's obviously, if you're not going to get the man who scored the goal, that's quite a problem, isn't it? I yeah, guess. it was, it was, it, we kept well, us on our toes. Think, do you think it's going to be fine? It'll be fine. Um, <laughs> I, I just, in that kind of life imitating art, imitating life way, thought he'll just saunter through at the last minute anyway. So I, I, I yeah. kind of clung to this idea that, you know, how Mickey would it be to just just yeah. just stroll in and, well, and sort it all out at the so end. Yeah. Uh, but maybe that was really naive. It did, you know, but but it was absolutely fabulous to... Uh, yeah. he, and what was really nice is that he, he, lo- he loved it. Right. And I think it, it opened up a lot of... Um, golden memories for him you know you get on with your life especially I mean even going to see George Graham right at the beginning he was the first apart apart from Lee and the first person we went to see was was George we had a coffee in Hampstead just to chat about whether or not 
he mm. wanted to do it and what we were about and so on and so forth. And uh, at the start, you know, he, he was he was quite cautious again. And he said, look, I don't really like to go over the past anymore. You know, I have my life. It, I loved what I did, but it, I just have a quiet life now. I play golf. I do my thing. I, he, he wasn't yeah, like, oh, yes, please. Yes, yeah, I definitely yeah. want to well. do this. And um, by the end of the kind of couple of hours, he's there moving the salt and pepper pots around, ah. like explaining going to the, you know, the he back four. And so good in it. And, he, I, and it, one of the main things that came, a couple of things that came away with were George Graham, and he was my absolute hero mm. for a long, long time. And, you know, I had a black and white frame picture of him looking like someone from The Godfather or something. And he's so smart and intelligent and eloquent. And I think, and I look at a lot of managers, and I, I end up feeling... I ended up feeling, um, you know, he could do a brilliant job for like lots of teams now, and it was weird that he's he hasn't had been. But I guess he doesn't even need or want that anymore. No, I think no. he's. I think he enjoys his life. But he, yeah. it, it was an, it was a play again. One of the great pleasures probably was that people like Mickey and George, uh, you know, yeah. got so much out of doing it, and it it, it reconnected them with something so important to them. Uh, and I actually came across with Perry, who I spoke to, you know, the following morning, to say how much they all love being back together, to be in the bar. Perry's actual reference was it was just like old times me and Boldy at the bar all night that was his actual quote but it, it was amazing being able to be together I wanted to ask was, was there a temptation to, to ask Arson to you know just like at the end it sort of Thierry has a quick word in, in terms of O'Leary a friend of Boyd has a quick word there. was there a temptation to ask because he was sort of the manager that took over there was there, and Riot, also but, his first ever connection with Arsenal was in that season the first time he ever went to Highbury well, and right. the moment he met David right. Dean was on okay. January the 2nd, 1989, when Arsenal played Tottenham. Michael Thomas scored the first of those goals with it outside of his foot and he was passing through London and went to a game and oh. it was Arsenal-Tottenham and he met David Dean and the magic mm. started and David thought, oh, well, this is a guy I want to keep tabs on and the rest is history. Um, but, uh, y- you know, when, we start, when you start off making it, you've got all sorts of ideas of tangents that you might go down and so on and so forth. But as the film kind of evolved, and you know, we kept sort of the idea of speaking to Arsene because he, he is brilliant at finding sort of some deep mm. one-liner about things that happen mm. in, in, in all sorts of topics, nothing to do with football even. He's, I remember when David Bowie died and Arsene Wenger came oh, out yeah. with a brilliant yes. line, just <laughs> did, yeah. off the cuff, and you think, oh, yeah. uh, he's very good at that. Yeah. And, and, and it was something we were sort of maybe going to try and do towards the end. And then as, as, it, as we came to it, A, kind of running out of money, as often happens with these projects, and t- running out of time and, and, and trying to get everybody in, we, it just ended up being something that we didn't quite get to. But I, d- I don't think it was needed in the no, same way. It is absolutely... We are sadly running out of time. We've got to get to predictions. Um, but uh, it was so fantastic. It was, it's, I think you've done a perfect job. And I job. think, because actually one of... Um, the, there's been a, there's been screenings on the our yeah. screen website, so people can have a look, and we'll throw out some links. But even a couple of my non-Arsenal sporting mates went on Sunday night in, in Crouch End, I think, and just thought it's terrific. So I don't think you have to be an Arsenal fan. No, so I don't I know. It's, it's a universal story. It's, it's David because, against Goliath, yeah. isn't it? And also, really? I think what it brilliantly yeah. touches and it's nostalgia of 1980s. Yeah, the nostalgia. The, the, also, the whole thing about the fact that there were the no mobile phones and the no none of the social media is so interesting because people engaged with it. I think you made the point maybe in the film that someone did that you people were engaged with this thing, incredible thing happening before their eyes mm. rather than taking pictures of it on their phones and tweeting about it and mm. Snapchat. I thought, it mm. does make a difference. I don't feel like an old twat, but it really does <laughs> I think you're right. I think the way somehow. I remember it in my head is, yeah. is real and as yeah. it happened rather than through yeah. some prism of... of and I love the fact, if I can go on a bit on it, that you showed the whole of the title sequence of the match which was ITV's show, show showing it. It's so good. The music and the titles, it's so 
brilliantly sums up 1989. All right, pipe down, Granddad. Sorry, and then you see Jim Rosenthal at the end as well. It's a joy. Anyway, I could go on about it constantly, but it is out now on DVD, Blu-ray and digital download. We have to do predictions because the podcast will be the podcast. Well, we're both we off to Cologne, away. which is exciting. Yes, boys. we're off to Cologne. You're off to Cologne, Amy? Uh, uh, I, I wasn't, and then they suddenly asked oh, where okay. I was, and I'm not sure. Okay. The answer. Sounds a bit bizarre. No. What do you think is going to happen at Cologne with the, the B team? The, in a completely dead rubber. I think let's nick a 1-0, scrappy away win. Yeah. Everyone's, everyone's happy. Josh? I don't think we'll win. Yeah, uh, okay. I think uh, maybe a draw, which is enough for us to go through for sure. I'll go 1-1. One, one. Amy? I think there might be a few goals in yeah, both ends, so I, actually. Yeah. Um, I don't know, 3-2. I like it, 3-2 to us. To us. Yeah, why not? I'm going, I'm going to go to all, which is my prediction against Spurs, and that didn't happen. And more importantly, that Burnley away fixture that Rio Ferdinand is convinced we're going to lose, Raymond. I think I'll go for another scrappy 1-0 away win. They've got a good home record, but I think we'll just, we'll just sneak it. Nice little last-minute handball um, oh. goal like uh, Very specific. last year. Would, Love like it, last right? year yeah, would yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. suit me just fine. Josh? Uh, 1-0, I think we'll draw. I think Burnley have been in- incredibly surprising this year, yes. considering they sold their best two players in sort of Keane and Gray. So, 1-0, which I don't think is a disaster, really, given where they're, yeah. they're level in the league. I'm going to go 0-0, I don't know why. I've got a feeling this, yeah, it's going to be a slightly depressing 0-0, Amy. Uh, I was going to go 1-1 as well, okay. so I'll stick with you, Josh. Oh, I'm so glad we got to score prediction. It's so important. Um, thank you so much, Amy, for coming on. And I can't Pleasure. say Thanks often enough me. how brilliant 89 the film is. Thanks, Raymond. Thank you. And thank you to Josh. We'll be back next Tuesday, will we? We're back next Tuesday after our trip to Cologne. Oh, yeah, after our trip to Cologne. Apologies for um, being too late, running on too long. Thanks, bye. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. If you're a large organisation involved in managing, purchasing or making decisions on software licences, you need Livingston. Livingston provides the technology and a large team of experts to help you understand what software is installed on your network, who is using it and whether you purchase the right number of software licences to legally use it. This information can help you make smart business decisions when it comes to renegotiating software licensing agreements with large software publishers like Microsoft, Oracle, IBM and others and when budgeting for software spend. To reduce the cost and risk of managing your software licenses, speak to Livingston today about our managed services. Over 50 multinationals across the world trust Livingston to manage their software licenses. Visit livingston-tech.com for more information. What's your thoughts on Fulham? Chances are you don't think about them too much, but nice away day by the river, used to have a Michael Jackson statue, and once did quite well under Roy Hodgson. But that's probably about it, because chances are you're not a Fulham fan. However, if you do know someone that supports Fulham, maybe a mate or a colleague at work, please tell them about the Fulhamish podcast that I host every week looking at each Fulham game as it comes and goes, with a nice bit of quirkiness and humour along the way too. You can find Fulhamish at fulhamish.co.uk and we're also available on all podcast platforms including iTunes, Acast and playbackmedia.co.uk. That's Fulhamish, your weekly independent Fulham FC podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over a hundred social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.